Today, I'm continuing to talk on a new series that I've entitled, Don't Limit God. You know, I had a man come to me one time and he asked for prayer and he uh, said, I've got a pain in my neck that is just killing me. But before I could pray for his neck, he says, I've also got pain down my spine. I've got a sciatic problem. I've got neuropathy in my feet. He had all of these things and he just listed like six, seven things. And I was listening to him and he says, but the pain in my neck is what the problem is. If God could just heal the pain in my neck, I can live with the rest of it. And when he said that, I just looked at him and I said, well, I understand what you're saying. I said, you know, if we were to ask God to heal your neck, your back, your nerve, your feet, all of these other things, I said, that, that, the lights in heaven might dim. I'm not sure God's got that much power. And when I said it like that, this guy just looked at me and he said, you know, what I said was really stupid, wasn't it? I said, it sure was. I said, it's not like you're going to tap God out if you get healed of everything all at once. But see, there's a lot of people that just honestly think that somehow or another, it's so hard to get God to do something. If I could just get this one little thing done, they, they aren't looking to maximize things, to get the fullness of everything. They're, they're thinking, how little do I have to have to survive? You need to think bigger. I've been trying to challenge you that God has big plans for every one of us. This is what the Lord spoke to me January the 31st, 2002, when He told me from Psalm 78, 41, that I was limiting Him by my small thinking. And so this week, I've been talking about what led up to that, I've given some stats about how that it has just transformed our ministry. Probably 15, our ministry has increased in every significant measure by 15 times as big, as many calls, as much money, as much outreach, touching people's lives, students. It's gone up at least 15 times in every area over the last 12 years. And it's because I begin to change the way I think. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As he thinks in his heart, so is he. Your life is going the way of your thoughts. If you want to see the physical circumstances change, change the way you think. That's huge right there. That is not the approach that most people take. Most people pray and they just petition God. They beg God. They get the prayer team praying. They, they ask everybody else for their prayers. They draw on everybody's sympathy and pity and do all of these things. And they do everything except change the way you think. If you want to see change on the outside, change on the inside. Change the way you think. Change the way you see yourself. And again, most people think, well, the way I see myself and the way I think is a result of the way things are. No, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. As a man thinks in his heart, that's the way that his life is. And I know some of you don't like that. And you say, I did not think this way. Yes, you did. You may not have thought, I want to be sick, but you thought you were only human. You thought you were limited. You weren't thinking about yourself, that you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. Therefore, when some physical problem comes up, you approach it from only a human standpoint. You go and do only what the doctors can do, only what medicine can do, and you can't go beyond that. And so ultimately, it is your thinking that has put you in that situation. There are people that think cancer is incurable. It's not incurable with God. Cancer is not any harder for God than a cold. But if you think cancer is incurable, if you think it's big, if you think all of the lights in heaven are going to dim for you to be able to get healed of cancer, well, then that thinking has allowed that cancer there. You may not have thought, I want to have cancer, but you have thought in ways that made you inferior to cancer. You didn't realize your full potential. I tell you, that is powerful. I want to go now to talking specifically about things that I was doing that limited God, my small thinking, things that hindered me. And, uh, you know, a lot of this is going to be personal. I don't want to be talking about myself. I really want to help you take the limits off of God. But one of the best ways I can think of to do this is to share with you personally what God spoke to me and what some of my hangups were. 
So one of my big hangups, this is the way that I would express it over here in Mark chapter 4 and in verse 18. It's talking about the parable of the sower sowing the seed and it's telling about how Satan came and hindered that seed or limited that seed from producing and growing and producing its fruit. And the third type of person, it says, these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. So this passage is showing how that Satan can limit the, the harvest, the fruit that God's word is supposed to produce in your life by just the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things. Now, I could teach on this and make many applications, but in context here about don't limit God. You know, one of the things that I was doing that limited God was that for the first time in my life and ministry, Jamie and I were succeeding. We were living at a level where things were working and I just was enjoying not having pressure on me. For decades, I was ministering. I pastored three churches. I went on the radio in 1976 have been broadcasting on the radio ever since. And we saw good things happen. I traveled, but it was a strain. And the Lord told me on uh, July the 26th of 1999 that when I started on television in January of 2000, that I was just starting my ministry. Now, I talked about that earlier, but one of the things that that did, it showed me why we had struggled because I really wasn't in my sweet place. I wasn't in the spot that God really had ordained me for. You know, I didn't go through Bible school. I started a Bible school, but I didn't go through Bible school. I went through the school of hard knocks and it took me 32 years since the Lord called me pastoring churches, traveling and doing things before I got to a place where God could really use me. And so when we started on television in January of 2000, all of a sudden everything began to work better. We got ahead financially. We have never been behind financially since January of 2000. So I was enjoying the relative ease uh, we have had people respond. We were touching people and there were just all of these good things happening. And you know, a portion, one of the reasons that I was limiting God was because I was just coasting. It seems like we had struggled for so long and we were experiencing relative success, relative ease that I was just enjoying it. It was lazy. I just, uh, I was just coasting. And I was enjoying not having, you know, disaster stare me in the face. And I had gotten to where it was, I was at ease and I was just enjoying it. And even though in a way that's good, in another way it's bad. Because you know what? You can get to where you just start resting and, you know, you let the cares of this life and the riches of the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things. You get just to where you're just enjoying life and things are good and you aren't stretching and reaching for anything. There's a balance here. I believe that we should enjoy the journey. We should be having a good time along the way, but at the same time, there ought to be a holy dissatisfaction. There needs to be a hunger on the inside of you that will never be satisfied until you go to be with the Lord. We need to recognize that there is always more, that God can do more for us and through us and other people's lives can be touched. And I had just reached a place to where there was relative ease, relative success. And you know what? I, here's the way I would say it. Some people, this is, you don't, speak to yourself as bluntly as this, but I just got lazy. I had worked hard for so long and here we were just seeing things work and I was lazy and I was enjoying being lazy and I did not want to get out and start stretching myself. And yet in my heart, if you would have asked me, you know, do you believe that you're accomplishing all that God wants you to accomplish? I knew that there was more. Again, I'm not trying to say these things for my benefit. I'm trying to illustrate where I was and I believe that you'll be able to relate to it. 
But God put a desire in my heart back in 1968 and showed me that someday I would travel the world, I would reach people all over the world, that I would have a worldwide ministry that would be as large, as big as anybody's. I've known that since 1968, but it didn't start happening in 1968. As a matter of fact, I struggled. I pastored three little churches that the largest one of those was 100 people. And I just struggled and we went along from 1968 until 2000. That's 32 years. And for 32 years, my vision was still the same, but it was way off in the future. And I just had to pay attention to where I was and be faithful where I was. And um, so because of that, I had kind of let this vision lapse or I wasn't speaking it. I wasn't actively pursuing it. I was just thinking it's off in the future. And when we started on television, we began to start seeing things increase to a degree that we weren't facing disaster. And I was enjoying the relative ease and I had just gotten lazy. Did you know that when you, if, if you receive the things that I'm talking about, about how all of us limit God, and if you get motivated to start believing God for more and stretching yourself, did you know it's not as comfortable as just sitting there and being lazy, sitting on your couch, doing nothing? It's not as comfortable to get out and work, but it's actually healthier for you. Plus, you'll get things accomplished. Plus, you'll be able to bless other people. I'm telling you, life isn't about just ease and comfort. Even Adam and Eve, when they were created, God put them in the garden and gave them a job to do in perfection when there was no weeds, when there was no thorns, when there was nothing bad, they still had to dress and, and take care of the garden. God gave them a job to do. I believe that there is something inside of man that every one of us needs a goal, a task, something to accomplish. I've just been watching a series on television. I won't tell you the name of it or go into detail about it. It's not important, but it's about these famous people. And it was about them that once they retired, from this position that was influencing people all over the world. Boy, their health went to pot. I mean, things just deteriorated because they didn't have a goal. They were, in a sense, just put out for pasture. And I have not only seen this in this series that I was watching on television, but I've seen it in the lives of people. My mother, she retired, I think, when she was 65 or 67, and she was a beautiful woman, super healthy, I mean, people thought she was in her 40s when she was in her 60s. But did you know that when she retired in the next two years, she aged 20 years? And it was because she was going to these flower uh, things and doing all of these little knitting circles and doing this stuff, but she didn't have a goal anymore once she retired. So she came to work for me and again found a purpose. And my mother lived to be 96 and was totally healthy and doing great until she was at least 94. And a lot of it happened. Her health went down. Her looks went down. Everything began to deteriorate when she was just put out to pasture and her life was over and she was waiting for the end of her life. You need a goal. You need a purpose. And so I admit that there are times that it's just fun to sit there and coast and do nothing and you got your needs supplied. So let the rest of the world just, you know, suffer. You are taken care of. You don't need anything. But I tell you, this world needs you. This world needs you to believe for something bigger. It really does. I believe that every one of you, if you are born again, God lives on the inside of you. And there are gifts and talents and ability on the inside of you that other people need. You are somebody's miracle. You are carrying somebody's miracle. And if you don't stretch yourself and reach beyond yourself and get out of your comfort zone and start taking risk and doing things, there are going to be other people that miss the miracle that God has planned for them because you didn't let Him flow through you. I really believe that. I don't believe that anybody is an island unto themselves. I don't think it's all about get all you can can all you get and then you just sit on your can and you enjoy yourself. That's kind of the American dream. But I don't believe that that's God's dream for anybody. 
It doesn't matter where you are in life. If you are successful, if you are to a place to where everything is working and you could just coast the rest of your time, you need to have a purpose for your life. You need to get beyond yourself. And I can guarantee you God has a plan that will keep you occupied until your last breath. I believe He has something bigger for every one of us than what any of us will ever accomplish. We will spend our entire life pursuing it. I don't think we ever arrive. We just leave and we head in that direction. But I do believe that you can stop along the way and just quit growing and quit pushing yourself and quit seeking God and trying to reach your full potential. And I'm telling you, this is one of the things that happened to me. After 32 years, actually by the time 2002 came around, it was 34 years of me just pushing and believing and trying to do things for the two years, we had been so successful. Things were working. People's lives were being changed. Income was coming in. We weren't behind anymore. And I just got lazy. And I was enjoying coasting. And you know what? That limits God. God told me that that was limiting Him by me just being lazy. I wasn't thinking about what God wanted. I wasn't responsive to other people who needed to hear this gospel, this good news gospel about the grace of God. And I was just doing what was easy on me. You know what? That limited God. And I didn't realize it. I honestly wasn't aware of it. If you would have asked me, I would have told you, oh no, we're growing, we're doing things. And we were doing things, but we were doing much less than what God had put in my heart. And you know what? I was just coasting. It was during this same period of time that I began to start thinking about my ultimate goal of totally covering and saturating the U.S. and even going around the world with television and with radio. And I began to sit down and think about where I was along this journey. And you know, it was, um, it was right at the end of 2001 I began to look at this and I figured that at the rate we were growing and adding stations and reaching out that I would have been over 200, uh, I don't know, I forget the exact details, but I know that I personally would have been over a hundred and something years old when I obtained my goals that God had put in my heart. And I just came to realize that, you know, this, I'm not growing at a rate that I can achieve these goals. I'm behind. I'm lagging behind. I'm going to have to speed up. I'm going to have to reach out. I'm going to have to go further. You know, I would encourage you to do this. What are the goals that you have in your life? You know, it's like if you were driving someplace, if you had a thousand mile trip in front of you, every once in a while you think, you know, I've been going for two hours now at the rate I've been traveling. How long is it going to take me to cover this thousand mile distance? and you constantly are aware of where you are, how far you have to go, how far you've come from. It affects, you know, when you get gas, when you eat. Are you going to have to spend the night? Can you cover all of this distance in one day? See, we do this in the natural realm, but in the spiritual realm, people just kind of go through life and they don't have a destination. They aren't judging where they are in this process. And I'm telling you that you couldn't do that in the natural. You'd never make it. You just, you have to plan more than that. You have to also plan in the spiritual realm. You need to pull an inventory. Where are you in the process? How long is it going to take you to accomplish the goals at the rate that you've been going? Are you going to live long enough to do that? And if you aren't, this is what I had to come to grips with. At the rate I had been growing, I wasn't going to achieve the goals that God had put in my life in my lifetime at the rate I was going. And it finally dawned on me that, you know what? I need to get with it. I need to get up off the couch. I need to go out and start doing something. I need to quit being lazy. Most of you don't talk to yourself the same way I talk to myself. You might say it that you need to get more committed. You need to increase. You, you can say it however you want to say it. But the bottom line is you aren't going to get there if you get complacent. If you let the cares of this life Choke the word. If you get to where you're just enjoying so much going to the soccer games and going to this and that and you're, you're doing all of these things and you got your bowling league and there's nothing wrong with any of those things in their place. But I'm saying that when it gets to where your whole goal in life is just enjoying yourself 
and getting, sitting back and reaping all of the rewards of your labor, you've lost your vision. You're limiting God. I'm telling you, there's always going to be something out there that God has for you that you have not yet accomplished. And God is a big God. He's going to call you to do things beyond yourself. Some of you, the goals that you have for yourself are goals that it doesn't even take God to obtain. If that's the way that you're thinking, I don't believe that you've really seen God's purpose for your life. God is a supernatural, awesome God. And He is going to call you to do something that is beyond yourself, beyond your natural ability. It's going to force you to rely upon Him. And that's a good thing. I had one of my guys that started one of our Bible colleges over in Australia, our ministry in Bible college. And I went over and we were holding meetings, drawing people to the school. And he pulled me aside and he says, I don't think I can do this. This is a huge task. I don't think I'm up to it. And he just expressed these concerns to me. And after he shared all of this, he looked at me, what do you think? And I said, I think that's wonderful. And he, he looked at me like, what's wrong with you? I just told you I don't think I can do it. I'm not able. And I said, that's wonderful as long as you don't stop there. And that makes you depend upon God because God is going to call you to do something bigger than yourself. If you can accomplish your dreams on your own, then you do not know God's will for your life. It's going to stretch you. And one of the impediments, one of the things that Satan uses to limit God in your life is just this sense of laziness, the cares of this world, uh, complacency to where you are just coasting and enjoying life, but you aren't stretching yourself beyond yourself. You need to be stretched. You need to be green and growing. The moment you become brittle and dry, you'll break. Here's another verse that kind of expresses what I'm talking about. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it says, For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. And anyway, there's a lot of ways you can interpret that. Uh, but the Amplified Bible, I forget the exact quotation, but it says... A dream comes with much, with pain and much effort, something to that effect. But this is talking about that, you know, if you have a goal, if you have a dream, those dreams do not come to pass. You don't fulfill those dreams by being lazy, by being complacent, by being satisfied. For you to reach out and make a difference, not only in your life and in your family, but I mean, let God flow through you and and make a difference and touch people's lives. For that to happen, it takes effort. It takes a lot of pain. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of business. And you know what? I was just actually in a place back in 2002 where I was coasting and I wasn't stretching myself and I wasn't believing God for anything. I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but you know, I'm in a position right now where again, this summer in 2014, the Lord spoke to me that I was limiting Him again. And this was part of it, that we had for the last three and a half years, we had this goal of building the first of, of two buildings at that time, two buildings that I saw, and it was a $32 million project, and I determined that I was going to do it debt-free. Now, that includes the purchase of the property, all of the infrastructure. We did $11 million worth of infrastructure that is for the whole campus that wasn't just that building. That, that first building was around $19 million, but the whole project, counting the infrastructure and everything, was $32 million. And you know what? When we started that, I didn't have any money. And we have to have over $2 million a month just to pay my television airtime, my employees, and do the necessary things. And on top of that $2 million plus per month, I had to come up with an extra $32 million in around 30-something months. So I had to have about an extra million dollars a month. And you know what? We were under the gun and I was believing God and keeping myself encouraged and I couldn't coast. I couldn't rest. But after the completion of that building, you know what? I breathed a great sigh of relief and I started limiting God again. The Lord spoke to me this summer 
that, you know what, I'd accomplished that. But now we had the next building. And I thought that the next building was going to be about $25 million. It turned out when we actually got the exact bids in, it turned out to be $35 million. And then on top of that, uh, we don't have enough parking. We use the city codes to come up with parking, but they figure five people per car. We've actually done a survey, and at our school, we average 1.5 people per car. So you know what? We were about three times uh, less parking space than what we needed. And rather than take all of this beautiful property that God's given us and make parking for miles and make people walk half a mile in the snow, I've decided that the best thing, the thing that would be the most beneficial to us is to build a thousand car park that most of it's below the ground. It'll be the exact same height as this building. It fits perfectly and stuff, but it's another $18 million. So you add all of these things together. Now I'm in a $53 million building program to accommodate this main auditorium and the parking garage. And just recently, I'm not going to go into all the details right here, but the Lord spoke to me and told me I was dreaming way too small, that He wants to raise up a college that is going to be, I mean, I believe it's going to be the most beautiful college, Bible college campus on the globe, certainly the ones that I know of. It's going to facilitate things. I recently went to a major Christian university and I was shocked. They took me up to this vantage point and I looked and there were, I don't even know, but at least 50 buildings. I had two envisioned. And I was looking out there and it accommodates 3,500 people. That's the low end of what God told me we would have at our Karis, main Karis Bible College campus. Of course, we got campuses all over the world, but the main campus, he told me to build it and prepare for at least 3,500 people. I believe that with night school and different things, we could accommodate way over 4,000 people. So I was looking at this Christian university that has 3,500 people in it and they had, I don't know, over 50 buildings. And all of a sudden I began to realize I'm thinking way too small. We need uh, student housing. We need all kinds of things. In the Woodland Park area, it's only about 12, 13 miles up into the mountains west of Colorado Springs. But did you know that there is a shortage of housing for the students. There's a shortage of hotel rooms and I'm seriously considering about possibly building a uh, hotel complex to be able to accommodate our conventions. And God has just shown me all kinds of things. I won't go into it, but I mean, it's big. And I found out this summer that, you know what, after that $32 million thing and we did it and we did it debt free, that I just kind of breathed a sigh of relief and, and was sitting back thinking, praise God, we don't have to come up with a million extra dollars a month. And then God spoke to me and started showing me all of this. And now it's going to be multiple millions of dollars per month that I need to come up with. And you know what? God is stretching me again. And I'm just saying that I get those things done. I get this next project, 53 million done. And I guarantee you, God's going to be showing me other things. We've still got 200 employees that are down here in Colorado Springs. And we've got a little over a hundred and something that are up in Woodland Park. So you know what? We've got our, our uh, employees split by about 20 something miles. And it's caused problems. It's, it's hard. We're having to duplicate some of our services. There's advantages to moving up there. And we now have 450 acres adjacent to our property in Woodland Park that my neighbors are wanting to sell me. And not only is it 450 acres, which will be just tremendous and allow us to put in student housing to do all kinds of things, but they have a 57,000 square foot building there that is very similar construction to what we've got. It's open beams and things just like our building. And it is a perfect fit and it would allow me to move our 200 employees up to there. We could consolidate our efforts and, and God has put that in my heart. And so anyway, it's just huge. I'm saying one of the reasons that I limited God originally was because I was just coasting. It was laziness. And just like this verse says, a dream only comes to pass through much business, through pain and a lot of effort. It's easier to do nothing 
than it is to stretch yourself and reach out and do some things. But in my case, for the vision that God has given me with the Bible college and training people, and if the Lord tarries, this thing could go on for a generation or two generations. It could, it's already impacting the body of Christ. And God is showing me that He's just positioned me and He's leveraged me and He's given me these resources and He wants me to do these things, not for myself, but for other people to equip them to change the body of Christ. I believe it could change nations too. You know, in the United States, this nation is headed in the wrong direction. And I believe that's true of all of these nations. We are seeing ungodliness grow and multiply. And there's, we're at a tipping point. If something doesn't happen, I mean, this world is headed in the wrong direction. And I know that there's some people that are just fatalistic and they think, well, this is prophesied in the Bible in the last days, love of many a wax cold. And so they just look at it and think this is the fulfillment of prophecy. We just have to roll with the punches. And you know, it may be the last days. It may be the fulfillment of prophecy and it may be that we aren't going to turn the tide. But I am, for one, am just unwilling to lay down and let it happen. I'm going to fight against it. I'm going to raise things up. And even if the course of the whole world or this nation continues to go downhill, we are going to rescue, ransom many millions of souls that would have been sucked in that direction and they're going to be turned on and red hot for the Lord. I am just not willing to lay down and let these things happen. God has put it in my heart to raise up a standard against it. And we have the potential of seeing a revival happen. It's happened before. You know, I was watching a series on television about World War II and about things that happened. And you know, you could have looked at that and thought, well, this is the end times. I've actually heard a sermon where somebody preached that Hitler was the Antichrist. And did you know that Hitler fit the description, the, script, the scriptural description of the Antichrist better than any person or any group that is on the scene today? I mean, he was, he persecuted the Jews. He did things. I mean, it would have been easy to have made that case and to have just said, well, this is the signs of the end times. It's the way it's going to be. We're going to accept it. The only thing wrong with that logic was that Hitler wasn't the final Antichrist spoken of in the book of Revelation. And people did raise up and we did have a revival. And there were things that happened. And we turned the tide. And for decades, I mean, we reaped the benefit of it. Who's to say that that couldn't happen again? I, for one, am doing everything that God has given me and everything within my power to see things turn around. And I believe that that's what God wants me to do. But it's going to take a lot of effort. It would be easier for me to just withdraw and say, well, I've done enough and I'm content. And you know what? God would still love me. God's not displeased with me. It's not like God's going to reject me. I don't believe anybody has ever fully manifested God through them. You know, Dwight L. Moody, when he was a young man, was in a church service and the evangelist got up and he said that the world has yet to see what God can do through one man who is completely yielded to Him. And Dwight L. Moody stood up and said, by the grace of God, I'm going to be that man. And Dwight L. Moody did some awesome things. This guy didn't even have a third grade education. He was actually rejected by churches when he applied for membership because they didn't feel like he was enough of a Christian to even be a church member. They rejected him. And yet this man who was uneducated, he, would, he could barely read. He would read a scripture and when he got to a word that he didn't know what it was or he couldn't pronounce it, he would just stop and preach up to that word and then he would go on reading and start on the other side of that word and hide his inability to read. He was an uneducated guy and yet he shook major continents, not just one, but multiple continents. He raised up Bible schools that are still going today over a hundred years later and have impacted the body of Christ. He preached before kings and queens and God used him in a mightily way. And even though Dwight L. Moody saw so many awesome things happen, he still didn't manifest 
everything that God could. The world has yet to see what God can do through one man who is totally yielded to Him. I don't believe I'll do it, but I guarantee you I'm going to do everything that I can think of. And what I'm trying to get across to you is that when the Lord spoke to me in 2002 that I was limiting Him, one of the ways I was limiting Him is because I was just taking the easy route. As it says here, the dream comes through a multitude of business or through much pain and hard effort, hard work. And you know what? It's not the easy way to really go to taking the limits off of God and let God use you, but it's the better way. It takes more effort to swim upstream than it does to float downstream. An old dead fish could float downstream. And sadly, that's what a lot of people do and just taking the easy route. What's the easiest thing? Let's do whatever is the easiest. You aren't going to be a person that changes your world. And by world, I'm not talking about the whole globe. I'm just talking about your world of influence, your sphere of influence. You aren't going to be the person that God wants you to be and reach your full potential with that attitude of what is the easiest way out. You know, right now, I really feel like the Holy Spirit speaking to me, through me, directly to some people who you've got some choices in front of you. And you right now are tempted to take the easiest route, not the one that you really feel is God's will for you. You are, you are being tempted right now to just, you know, make it easy on yourself and easy on your family. But God is saying to you through me, that you need to stretch yourself, that you need to quit being lazy. You need to not limit God just because you don't want to put the effort into it. Now, again, there's, there's carnal things that we put so much effort into that it saps life from us and it chokes the Word of God. I use those verses, Mark 4, 18, that the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things enter in and choke the Word. I'm not talking about some carnal ambition and becoming, you know, the CEO or something and you just work yourself to death. I'm not talking about those kind of things, but I'm talking to people who you know God has more for you than what you've experienced. But in order for you to get there, it's going to take a lot of effort and you are just debating about whether or not you want to put the effort into it. And the Lord is saying to you that you need to go for it. Man, if you shoot at the stars and miss and only hit the moon, that's still more than most people have ever obtained unto. You may not reach everything, but you know what? You need to head in that direction. God, like I was sharing with you earlier, has given me a vision of raising up a huge complex where for decades, maybe generations, that the body of Christ can be influenced and impact and it can have an impact on the entire world. And God has given me this vision of those things. But it's not the easiest thing to do. And you know what? If I never get it accomplished, I'm still going to come to the end of my life and say I pursued it. I'm, I was going in that direction. And praise God, God will raise somebody else up to finish it. We're all standing on the shoulders of other people. And if the Lord tarries and our generation leaves, there will be others that come behind us and that stand on our shoulders. And that's fine. I don't have to be the whole, I'm not the whole body of Christ. There's, God's raised up many, many people. But I want to do my part. I want to do what God has put in my heart. And by the grace of God, I'm going to do it. When I get to the end of my life, I don't want to look back and think, you know what? I didn't do everything that God put in my heart. Man, I want to be one that says, by the grace of God, I went for it. I have done everything. Like Paul, I have run the race. I have finished my course and there is laid up for me a crown. I don't want to leave anything here. I don't want to have any gas left in my tank. Amen. I want to spend it all. I want to go as far and as deep with the gospel as what God has called me to do. And I'm just telling you that when I was coasting and didn't have that attitude I've just described, I was limiting God. And that's one of the things that God spoke to me and I had to repent of it. And I had to say, God, I'm willing to go back into the battle. I'm willing to get with it again. I'm willing to take the harder road and not the easier road. And I am so glad that I did. God has blessed me and blessed a lot of other people through it.
And I'm saying this to you, that there are some of you that are at a crossroads and you have to make a decision. You need to take the limits off God. You need to go for it. I know that it's going to take a lot of business, a lot of pain and effort to obtain this dream. But you know what? It's well worth it. If not for yourself, do it for other people. There are other people today who are reaping the benefit of the decisions that I've made. And I'm just so glad that I decided to do that. Look at this verse in Hebrews uh, chapter 6 and in verse um, 12. It says that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. This word slothful is just another word for what I'm saying, lazy. In other words, it takes effort to inherit the promises. Did you know if you just take the path of least resistance, you're never going to obtain any great things. You aren't going to make a big impact. You aren't going to touch people. And sadly, that's where most people live. They just look for the, you know, they're like water that takes the path of least resistance. You need to have a little bit more backbone than water. You need to have a goal. You need to have a purpose. You need to find out what God's destiny for your life is and then you pursue it. And I tell you, there's a lot of people that just aren't doing this. It says, don't be slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Notice that patience here is contrasted with being slothful. Now this needs a little explanation because the way that a lot of people look at patience, it is slothful, it's lazy. A lot of people see patience, you know, you ask them what they're doing. Well, I'm just waiting on God. And what the way they're waiting on God is that they're just sitting there goofing off. They aren't pursuing the Lord. They aren't actively seeking the Lord. They just, you know, think they're waiting on God the way you wait on a bus to come or something. But the word wait as used in Scripture when it talks about they that wait upon the Lord, Isaiah chapter 40, I believe it's verse 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. The way you wait on the Lord scripturally is like a waiter. And this waiter isn't just sitting over there doing nothing, you know, laying down on a couch while his customer is needing all of these things. But a good waiter, you are looking at that customer. And man, if their glass is empty, you come fill it up. If they want anything, all they got to do is look at you and boom, you're right there. That's the waiting that the scripture is talking about. It's not talking about being lazy or slothful, but it's an active word. It talks about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. And that word endure there isn't talking about that he just put up with you know, if you saw the movie, The Ten Commandments, it portrayed Moses when he went out into the desert as just trying to get away from God. He wouldn't talk about God. He didn't want Zipporah, his wife, to mention it. He was running from God. He had been hurting. He was, he was fleeing from God. That is not what the scripture says. Hebrews chapter 11 says, He endured as seeing him who was invisible. Moses was looking at God. He had a promise from God. And even though he had totally blown God's plan for his wife and life and cost himself many years in the desert, he was still looking and seeking after God. You can see this in the third chapter of the book of Exodus because he was taking care of his father-in-law's sheep and he saw this bush that was on fire. Did you know seeing a bush on fire in the desert was not unusual? But what was unusual, the bush was on fire, but it wasn't burnt. You know, sometimes I think we lose the significance of these things because we grow up and we think everything is the way it is in our culture and the place where we live. But you know, I live up in Colorado and during the times of drought, it would approximate or approach the way that it is like in a desert. And during times of drought, I burned my trash and I mean, I could just let one spark out of that barrel and boom, I mean, these clumps of grass and stuff, they explode and they will, sh they will shoot sparks, you know, four or five feet. And I've seen trees that when trees catch on fire, one of the reasons that wildfires out in the western part of the United States are so dangerous is because when that tree is really dry, the tree explodes and it will throw uh, ash and stuff like that, a quarter of a mile or something. See, this is the way it was in this climate, in a desert climate. 
things would catch on fire, but when they did, it was just like nearly like it was gone instantly. This tree, though, was burning and it wasn't consumed. It was different. And here's my point for bringing all of this up. It says that Moses endured as seeing him who was invisible. He wasn't escaping from God. He was pursuing God. He was looking. He was longing for God. And when he saw something that was unusual, he turned aside. And then it says in the next verse, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, then he spoke to him out of the bush. You know, if God just wanted to get his attention, why didn't God just call his name? Why didn't he just talk to him? Why did he have this burning bush? And why did he wait until after he had turned aside that God chose to speak to him? I believe this is a principle you can see all throughout the Word of God, and that is that the Lord doesn't just force himself upon you. You have to be pursuing the things of God. Like in the sixth chapter of the book of Mark, Jesus came out walking on the water and you know He was walking on the water to come out and save His disciples who were about to drown. And yet it says He made as though He would have walked by them and they had to call out and place a demand upon Him. The same thing happened in Luke chapter 24 after Jesus was raised from the dead. He made as though He would have gone further, but His disciples had to compel Him to come in and eat with them. And then is when He revealed Himself to them. You can see this just throughout all things. God is not going to force His will upon you. You aren't going to just be, you know, forced by God to do what He wants you to do. God is not that kind of a person. You know, I'm not that kind of a person. I don't like forcing people to do things. And when I find somebody who's, you know, I made this decision years and years and years ago in my ministry that somebody would get bent out of shape over something and I go and try and talk to them and please don't leave. We'll, you know, we'll make it good. You can get along with this person. And I just had to nearly beg people sometimes to stay. And, um, and then they'd wind up leaving and as soon as they left, it was like, you know, a problem left. And I just... I've come to the realization that I'm not going to beg somebody to stay with us. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to coerce people. Now, I try and help people, but I'm saying that I just don't like having to beg people, coerce them. There's so many people who are willing to do something that if you aren't willing to do it, I'll just go find somebody else who is. I believe that God's like that. God doesn't force people. He will reveal Himself to you, but He doesn't force you. So, He appeared unto Moses... But if Moses would have been like a lot of people and just saying, hey, you know, I've been working all day. I'm headed home. Zipporah's got my supper waiting on me. I'm going to be late for supper. I think I'll just let this go. It's possible that he might have missed his encounter with God. But see, he was looking. He was waiting on the Lord. When he saw the slightest hint of something that was abnormal, man, he turned aside. He wanted to see. And that's when the Lord spoke to him. And this is what this is talking about. You have to run with patience the race that is set before you. Patience is not a lazy thing. It's not just sitting down and saying, well, I'm waiting on God to make this vision come to pass. No, patience is an active thing. Personally, this is andeology, but I believe that patience is nothing but faith, strong faith over a prolonged period of time. Instead of just a burst of faith, it's a prolonged faith. Patience is just faith over a prolonged period of time. And so it says, Don't be slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless thee, blessing, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. And so here again, you see this, that patience is enduring and it's over a prolonged period of time. The reason I bring all of this up is to say that one of the things in my life that was limiting God and hindering Him was that I'd just gotten lazy. I wasn't in patience. I wasn't looking. I wasn't really longing to see everything come to pass. I was just coasting and it turned out to be a limitation to God. And so I want to say the same thing to you, that there are some of you who've become comfortable and you know what? You just aren't persevering. 
You aren't patient. You have become slothful. And you're going to have to stir yourself up. If you don't stir yourself up, you'll settle to the bottom. And you know what? I could take this right here and I could minister for weeks on this. I'm not going to do it, but I'll refer you to a series that I've got entitled The Four Keys to Staying Full of God. And what that does is basically take Romans chapter 1, verse 21 and talks about how you have to put worth and value on what God has shown you. You have to value it more than you value your leisure, than you value your, your um, you know, ease of doing things. You have to put worth and value on the things of God. You have to be thankful. Thankfulness makes you think about God and recognize God as your source. You have to remember the things that He's done in your life. And then ultimately you have to get into your imagination and let your imagination see all of these things come to pass. I'm going to be talking about some of this more as we go through this series because seeing yourself on the inside was a big hindrance to me. It was one of the things that I did that limited God and I will be talking about that more. But basically it's up to you whether you are stirred up or not. It's not up to God. You know, I believe that God has already done everything. I've got another teaching set entitled, You've Already Got It, So Quit Trying to Get It. And the basis of that is that God released everything He has and is through Jesus into this world. And now that Jesus lives in our hearts by faith, we get born again and He sends the Spirit of His Son into us. I believe that we have everything we need in God. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. You've already got this stuff. So I don't ever go and say, oh God, please give me love. Oh God, please give me joy. Help me to just rejoice. Help make me happy. Now see, there's a lot of people that do that. I have people that come to me and say, would you please pray that God would just show me His love? No, I won't. And some people think, well, what's wrong with you? Because God has already shown you His love in Jesus and you already have love, joy, and peace in your spirit. You've already got all of these things. If you aren't in joy, if you are depressed and discouraged, it's because you've set your mind and your heart on depressing and discouraging things. And that's what's occupying your focus. You're focused on those things. So if you need joy and peace, don't go beg God for it like He hasn't done it. Instead, stir yourself up. You start releasing joy. And anyway, I could get off and spend a week talking about that. But my point is, see, that God has already done these things. God has given you a vision. God has a purpose for your life. But you have to keep yourself stirred up. You have to keep yourself encouraged in the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. I tell you, that is one of the traits of a mature Christian is when you can encourage yourself instead of having to just go and, you know, uh, be a leech and sap it from somebody else. Now, I'm not trying to condemn anybody. We're all at different stages of growth and maybe in the beginning you are more dependent upon other people and you have to go and be built up. But I'm saying one of the signs of maturity is when you can encourage yourself in the Lord. And you can't do this being complacent, being lazy. It takes effort. I use that verse out of Ecclesiastes 5.3 that a dream comes through the multitude of business. The, the Amplified says through much pain and hard effort. You have to apply yourself. You have to stir yourself up. You have to encourage yourself in the Lord. And I'm telling you, this is one of the things that I was not doing that hindered God was I was just reached a place in my life and in our ministry where everything was going good and I was just kicking back and relaxing and not stirring myself up. And God spoke to me that I needed to stir myself up or I'd sink to the bottom. And you know what? There was a resistance on my part because honestly, you know, there's times that you just like to do nothing and to be lazy, but that's not good for you. It's not good for other people and what God wants to do through you. So one of the things I had to do was just once again, get in there and say, praise God, I will encourage myself in the Lord. I will stir myself up. And then just like Abraham right here, it says, 
that after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Again, part of this is that, you know, there's a lot of people that are able to be intense pursuing the Lord and pursuing what God has for them for brief periods of time. As long as, you know, they only have to do it for a week and just stir themselves up and man, I mean, turn off the TV and, and get into the Word of God and do things. And as long as it, they can get their answer within a week, there's some people that will do that. But the vast majority of people fail when it has to be over a prolonged period of time. And you know, this was part of my problem is that the Lord touched my life in 1968. That's when I got really turned on to the Lord. He showed me a vision of what I'm doing now. Of course, I see a lot more detail now, but I knew I was going to be ministering worldwide and doing things back in 1968. But in 2002, which was 34 years later, I had just, you know, gotten to a place to where the vision was still so far off in the future. It had taken so long that I had just really, it, it wasn't burning on the inside of me. It was hard to maintain the intensity of the things God had spoken to me over a prolonged period of time. And I had just gotten lazy and let it go. And the Lord spoke to me that I needed to stir that up. I needed to rekindle this fire on the inside. And it takes effort to do that. And so that was one of the hindrances, one of the things that was stopping me. And I believe likewise, there are many of you that you might be able to look back and at one time you were more passionate, you were more committed, you were more zealous, you were putting more effort into it than what you are now. But over a period of time, you just become weary and you kind of just slow down and quit stirring yourself up. So one of the things that you've got to do, one of the things I had to do was just stir yourself up, quit being lazy, quit being slothful, and get back in and encourage yourself in the Lord. And you know, again, this goes back to that series that I've got entitled The Four Keys to Staying Full of God. I'm not going to preach that whole thing. You could get that if you want to. Uh, it's on our website or you could call and ask for it. But when you go back and start remembering what God has spoken to you. It says twice in 2 Peter, Peter said that I stir you up by putting your minds in way of remembrance. Did you know memory will stir you up? And this is one of the things that I do. And one of the things that I did in 2002 when the Lord first spoke to me about limiting Him, one of the things that I did was just go back and in my memory started remembering what God had spoken to me. You know, the scripture says that you need to um, give more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. That's a uh, Hebrews chapter 2. And it says in Psalms 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. The reason it says not to forget is because our tendency is to forget. Our tendency is to let things slip. And so one of the ways that I stir myself up and get myself motivated is to go back and think about what God spoke to me. Go back and remember the vision that He gave me. Go back and remember the way that it affected me and the things that I've done. And as I go back, it stirs me up when I go to remembering what God has done. And I tell you, there's a lot of people that they just don't put any effort into this and because of it, they forget. Matter of fact, over there in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, it says that if you don't value God, if you aren't thankful, if you don't use your memory and imagination, then your heart becomes hardened. And I actually have a friend of mine who we went through a lot of things together, but he turned away from the Lord, quit serving the Lord for a period of time, and God used me to help get him back into the ministry. And I asked him to come and hold a meeting with me and during this meeting, it had been like 30-something years since the Lord first touched our life. And I was just reminiscing with him and talking about things that happened over at his house. I mean, miraculous things where the power of God was so strong. We, I mean, fear just gripped us. We were in the presence of God. And I was reminiscing and talking about all of these things. And after a couple of days of that, he just literally yelled at me one time and he said, Stop! He says, stop talking about all this stuff. And I said, what's wrong? He says, I don't even remember this. 
It was stuff that happened to him when he was caught up into heaven and things that God spoke to him. He didn't even remember those things. I remembered it better than he remembered it. And it just bothered him. He says, stop, I don't want to hear it anymore. And you know what? I really believe that that's one reason that this man walked away from the Lord for a period of time because he forgot what God had done in his life. When you go back and rehearse the things that God has spoken to you, go back and remember where you were when you got born again, where you were when you got baptized in the Holy Spirit, where you were when God gave you direction and spoke to you and miracles that He's done in your life. If you will go back and rehearse those victories, it will affect your heart today and it will change the way that you view the future. If the Israelites would have remembered the 10 plagues that came on the nation of Egypt and the miraculous way that God delivered them and led them through the Red Sea, they wouldn't have ever worried about where they'd get wet water from, what they would eat. If God could do all those other things, He would bring them through and into the promised land. But it's just like they forgot. They're just like a goose. They woke up in a new world every morning. They didn't remember these things. I'm telling you, one of the ways to stir yourself up is to go back and through memory, go back and rehearse the things that God has done and it'll stir you up and you have to put some effort into it only through the multitude of business does a dream come. You have to put some effort into it and I guarantee you, that's one of the ways you can take the limits off of God.